Lord, we thank you that you're always with us. What an awesome covenant. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Thank you, Lord, for the union we have in you. The Father and the Son have made their abode inside of us, inside of us by the gift of the Spirit. Lord, thank you for this reality. Thank you for the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit. Help us every day, Lord, see how great your love is, the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of God. And doing so, we shall be filled with all the fullness of God. Such an awesome dynamic. Look at love. Be filled with love. Act in love. Look at love. Be filled with love. Act in love. What an awesome rest. Thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of Christ. Christ himself, our life. Amen. Cool. Cool, cool. God is so cool. He's No wonder Paul says to the only wise God, you know? The wisdom of what he did and what he's doing. Okay, with the Lord's help, we're going to try to uh move after today into chapter 6, the last chapter of Galatians. Just a few more thoughts I want to share in this chapter 5 of Galatians with everyone about walking in the Spirit because we haven't looked at some awesome verses yet in Romans 8. And remember, Romans 7 and 8 is kind of like Paul's, um, Paul's uh, commentary on the few simple lines he writes in Galatians where he says, walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, um, for the Spirit fights against the flesh, so you cannot do the thing that you would like to do as a Christian. So he takes that simple concept and really expounds on it in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Romans. So that's why we're going back to Romans, to, even though we're in Galatians. So, um, so there's some stuff in Romans 8. Many, 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 many uh, teachers of the Scriptures through the centuries have said that Romans 8 is the pinnacle it's a powerful, powerful chapter. It is the pinnacle. If there was a, one, one person said it this way, if there was a diamond and, and there was like some facet of the diamond that is, was more brilliant than any other facet, Romans 8 would be the most brilliant part of the diamond. Just let you know, there's the treasure that's in Romans 8 is, it's, it's, it's out of the ballpark. And so I say that so we, we open our hearts to receive. See, it's, it's really, it's, Jesus said this, he said, some, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was in a, was stumbled over a treasure in a field. He wasn't looking for the treasure. The thing, the things of God come to us in two different ways. Either we, we fall into it by accident or we're looking for it. Either way, and it's, God doesn't care. Either way, just get the treasure. And so here's, here's this guy who's stumbled over a treasure in a field, and he realized under this rock, this gold, and so he bought the whole field. He bought the field so he could have that treasure. That's somebody who just stumbles over. 
That's someone who gets invited to something that Barbara's going to and they stumble over, they hear that, you know, got to come hear this and they hear it and, you know, that kind of thing. The other guy is a guy who was seeking pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who is seeking the best pearl and he's collecting pearls all his life until he finds the pearl of great, he finds the pearl. He sells all the other pearls and buys that pearl. So it comes in two different ways. Um, and the per, the, uh, and, and remember what we're talking about here. I know there's different interpretations about what these parables mean. But think about what Jesus is saying here. He says the kingdom of heaven. It's this kingdom of heaven that is the treasure. It's the kingdom of heaven that is the pearl. It is this other realm. It is this other life. It is this whole new reality of union with God and Christ. And God is our daddy and calling him Papa and all these things. That's, that's the treasure. It's, it's actually passing through death and into life. It's going through judgment where you have to no fear of judgment anymore because of the cross. I mean, this is, this deal is so, that, that's, that's the treasure. That's the treasure. It is this other reality that we can live in. The kingdom of heaven is the treasure. It's the pearl of great. It's this other reality. This relationship with God is our daddy now. This work of Jesus is so finished. It's so finished. The scripture says that we have already passed through death, passed through judgment because of what Jesus did on the cross, passed through judgment. We've already been buried. The old man has already been buried with Christ. And a new creation has been raised. Romans says that he raises the dead and calls into being that which did not exist before. A new species, a new creation has been raised from the dead. That's not the end of it. Then we ascended with him. Ephesians says that we together, he raised us up together with him, that we might rise with him together to sit with him together in heavenly places. Sit, sit, sit with him together. This thing is so done. We have actually passed through death, through judgment, through burial, through new creation, through life, through ascension, all the way into that other realm, translated from the kingdom of this darkness, Paul says, into the kingdom of the beloved son, and we rest. We sit with him, which is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's, that's the treasure. When you find this treasure, you sell all you have to get this treasure. When you see this treasure, you can live the rest of your life on earth as one who has already died, already been judged for all your sins that you could ever commit. You've already been raised. You've already ascended. You are there. You are a son of God, a daughter of God. Your citizenship is in heaven. Do you realize the only people that are going to heaven are those who are from heaven? Your mother is Jerusalem above. You're from there. You're born from above. Born. You're from there. Isn't that awesome? This is so awesome. We're down here wondering if we're going to make it or not. Do you realize you are from there? And because you're from there, you are an heir. Because you are from there, you're going back there. Jesus said, all who are born of the Spirit, they're like the wind. The world doesn't know where they came from or where they're going. So are you. They don't know you're from above. When he who is our life is manifested, you too shall be revealed, the Scripture says. But the world doesn't know you're the sons and daughters of God. 
They don't see. They, they, they said see the shell. They don't see the new creation that has actually been brought forth by the word of his truth within. You're going there because you're from there. Isn't that awesome? What a rest. We are no longer from below, but from above. Our mother is New Jerusalem above Galatians. Our hometown is no longer a hometown on this planet. Our hometown is the same hometown. We all have the same hometown. Our hometown is New Jerusalem above. It's so cool. This is, these are the things of the Spirit. This is the things that are freely given to us by the Holy Spirit to to reveal these things. You see how easy it, it should be to walk in the Spirit? Now, when we don't see this stuff and we're given a lot of garbage in, the, in religious circles and a mixture of law and grace and a mixture of flesh and spirit, it's almost impossible to walk in the spirit because there's such a conflict in our minds. Our minds are not being renewed to the reality of what is. But when we just read the scriptures and see what Paul is opening up to us, trusting in the Holy Spirit to open our minds to this reality, it's not, it's not a difficult thing. Why, how could God... Think about this. Why would God make walking in the Spirit a difficult thing when He did the hardest part? He who spared not His only Son, who delivered Him up for us all, will He not, with Him, with Him, freely give us, freely, freely, circle freely, freely give us all things. See, God is not a bait-and-switch Used car salesman. He doesn't bait you with this, oh, it's all easy, it's grace, come on in and believe. And then, oh, this walking in the Spirit stuff is tough. No. It's not tough if we just believe. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And what happens with this thing? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. See, usually leaven is used in the Scripture to refer to sin because leaven multiplies and, you know, it just gets worse and worse. Jesus takes that analogy and says, ah, but this is just like that. The kingdom of heaven is just like that. It's like a virus. It's like a heavenly virus that begins to rewire your mind. You take this in, you take this in, something supernatural begins to happen on the inside of you that you cannot explain. Your mind begins to be renewed and rewired. Everything that exalts itself against the true knowledge of God is pulled down by this new power, That's a virus that begins to work. New insight, new revelation, new perspective. It's a virus. It's a, a woman takes, a, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who takes three measures of, of leaven and puts it in the dough and lets it rest until the whole thing is leavened. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If our Christian life is too difficult, then it's not the Christian life. The only difficulty in the Christian life, really, is the junk we have to put up with with the world. That's it. The cross of rejection from a world that hated him and that will hate us. And that's where the power of his life comes and kicks in to give us strength to love our enemies and, and to do good to those who hurt us and curse us. See, that's, that's, there's, yeah, there's junk in this walk because we're walking in a fallen world. And you're, you shine as lights. But there's no junk in Christ being formed in you. And God doesn't need evil and pain and suffering to make Christ in you. 
He does not need the devil to form his son in you. That is not the heavenly dynamic. The heavenly dynamic is to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we're transformed into the same image. The real you comes forth in the renewal of the mind so that the real you is manifested by beholding him. It's, it's faith to faith and joy to joy and fruit to fruit. And all these things that happen to us outside here only serve to make us depend more on him. But he doesn't need evil to make us good. Paul even said this. He said, I, I pray that you would be naive as to what is evil and wise as to what is good. We don't have to study all about evil to be good. Paul says, I'd rather you be naive as to what is evil out there. Don't worry about what is evil. Be wise as to what is good. Like the, the old story we've heard many, told many times about the people who are trained to find counterfeit money. Those who are trained to find counterfeit money in banks, they don't train them with, all right, this counterfeit, this is a one coming out of Brazil here. This is one that's coming out of Germany. Watch this one here. No, they don't train them like that. They train them with the real. They hold it. They smell it. They sleep with it. They touch it. They're constantly holding the real. So when the unreal comes to them, they go, that, nope, something's wrong with this one. You don't have to know all about evil. That's part of the deception. If you knew the knowledge of good and evil, you could be like God. No. God says, who told you you were naked? I didn't want you to know that. Just walk with me. Look at me. Behold me, the life. See? It's a whole new way of living, focusing on him. Set your minds. Is there any room in that statement for doing anything else? Set your minds on things above and not on things on the earth. See, he's wise. God is so wise. He knows how we're made. He made us. He made us to live in this place of union with him and a dependency on him that we can rest. This is not supposed to be a drudgery. It's supposed to be an adventure. It's supposed to be a romance. It's supposed to be a pleasure, a joy. And that's what we have. That's the treasure that was hidden in that field. That's the pearl of great price. And that's what we're going to talk about briefly here in Romans 8, when he talks about walking in the Spirit. See, all these things we just said. Awesome. Okay, let's go. Romans 8. Romans 8. I love the fact that the only people that go to heaven are those that are from heaven. Isn't that cool? So everybody on earth... That's why it says, no, no man after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. Everybody on earth is, is either from the Adamic race or from the Christ. They're either from below or from above. So our goal is not to clean people's lives up. Our goal is not to modify their behavior. Our goal is not to, to uh, be the, the righteousness police. Our goal is to be revelators of the Christ. Our goal is to be a, a torch to shine that they might see. And believe, because through faith they too are born of Him and are raised in Him. Awesome. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Okay, here we go. Romans 8. Okay, cool. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1. <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, just so you know, this there are a lot of manuscripts that don't have this second part of the verse in there. Uh, what, your verse doesn't have it. Your doesn't have it. Just so you know, it's it's probably it's probably true that that verse should not that last part should not be in there. 
The reason why is because look at 8.4. 8.4 is the same phrase as that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's a theory that, this, that when the monks were doing this centuries and centuries and centuries ago, that they, he actually copied that bottom of four up in one because a lot of the manuscripts don't have the one. And the reason why that's important is because some people have said that our no condemnation is tied to our performance. And that's not what Paul taught at all. 8.4 is fine because it just says this is how the, the, the righteous requirements of the law are met, is that when we walk in the Spirit, we do what the law was trying to get us to do in the first place. So what does yours say, um, Ken? Yeah. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life. Okay, that's the second verse, right? Oh, Ver- verse? What's verse 1? Oh, verse 1. There, read read yeah. verse 1 again. Just stop at verse 1. there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There Amen. That's it. Verse 1 is, should be just simply, bottom line, there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. And, of course, the rest of the Scripture teaches that too. But then Paul goes into how this works out in our lives. Let's look at that, verse 2. And, again, if you, know, if you want to leave it there, that's fine too. Just realize he's not saying that's a condition for no condemnation. He's just saying those who are in him walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh because they have the life of God in them. But it's not a condition for no condemnation. The moment you say your obedience to the Spirit is a condition of no condemnation, you don't have a new covenant. The Spirit was not given to us so that we could keep the law. So that in the keeping of the law, by the power of the Spirit, we would be righteous. See? I'll say it again. The Spirit was not given so that we could keep the law, so that in the keeping of the law, we would be righteous. In fact, it's so clear. The Scripture says you're dead to the law. The Scripture says no man can keep the law. The Scripture says that even the law itself is not of faith. The Scripture says the law actually gives strength to sin. And to think that just because the God, God has given us the Spirit that we can keep the law perfectly now is another delusion. So don't let someone trip you up and think, and there's some circles out there that teach that. Some Pentecostal holiness movements are teaching that, hey, now that you have the Spirit, God basically just added some oomphs to Moses. You know, basically, basically they're exalting Moses and Elijah above Jesus, just like Peter did on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're saying, now Jesus gave us the power to keep the law. No, the Father, Moses and Elijah get off the stage. Jesus only. Hear my son. For he has been made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, through union with him. Because remember, the Lord doesn't just give us righteousness as a concept. He gives us his son. You know God's answer to darkness? God's answer to darkness in this world and in our personal lives, God's answer to darkness is the revelation of his son. The light that comes into the world that lights every man. A person. It's a person. A son. Isn't that cool? You know what your power is? Christ himself is your power, the scripture says. For Christ is the power of God. God gives you Christ. He doesn't give you power. He gives you Christ. Isn't that cool? What a rest. Okay. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. The law here in the Greek means principle. The principle of, and you could, in the Greek you'd actually ter- you can interpret it this way. The principle of the spirit life. The principle of the spirit life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the principle of, of sin and death, which is a reference to Romans 7, that the law actually 
causes sin to arouse, which leads me to the death of condemnation. So that's what he's saying there. Verse 3, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, he either condemned all sin in the flesh or he left some out. The scripture says, like last Sunday, we talked about how the prophet said, tell Israel, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Tell them they have received double for all their sin. Tell them the warfare is over. We were enemies of God. We can't sin enough in two lifetimes, in 25 lifetimes, to sin enough to be, to have more sin than the death of Jesus could handle. Isn't that awesome? He plunged the whole human race down with his son. He blotted out all flesh. One day we'll do a teaching on Noah's Ark. It's a picture of the cross, how he blotted out all flesh, how Christ is the Ark. Christ is the Ark after the flesh, a man. Christ is the rainbow after the spirit, the ascended Christ on the throne after the order of Melchizedek. He did it all. He took us through judgment into life, into another realm, another world, a cleansed earth, a picture of another realm, a whole new realm, a new earth. That's all pictures of what we have now in the spirit. The real has come, not copies of the heavenly things, but the heavenly things themselves. Okay. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The reason Paul says in the likeness of sinful flesh is because if he had said in the likeness of flesh, then that would have implied that he was not really a man. But he was really a man. As John says, who, who, he who says Jesus did not come in the flesh is Antichrist or Pseudo-Christ. The word Antichrist actually means Pseudo-Christ or a substitute for Christ. Substitute for Christ. So when he says, whoever, does, whoever doesn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh is Antichrist, is a picture, is a, is, he's alluding to the world mentality. The world mentality wants to replace Christ with things. And I tell you, an apostate Christianity wants to replace Christ with things. So the word antichrist, don't think when you hear antichrist is, you know, this is the mark of the beast and it's like this, you know, that's part of it. But it's more than that. It's this, the, in the Greek, antichrist means pseudo-Christ, substitute for Christ. Anything that's a substitute for his life is antichrist. So anyway, he says here that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh because he, could, he didn't say in the likeness of flesh because he really did come in the flesh as a man. And, and he didn't come. And then, he said, then it says sinful flesh, likeness, because he had no sin. He had to say likeness of sinful flesh because he had no sin. So it's perfect. It's a perfect statement. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh because he had no sin. Isn't that cool? And he became our substitute so that we who were sinful could receive a righteousness which was not our own. For he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, let's keep going. This is so cool. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, all that means in verse 4 is what Paul has said before, that the, all the law was trying to get us to do was to love. And, he, and Paul in Romans 14 says, this, the, uh, he names a couple of Ten Commandments. He says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. He says, if there, if there is any other commandment, one word fulfills them all. Love. Love fulfills the law. He says that in Galatians also. Love fulfills everything the law was trying to get us to do. So all he's saying here in verse 4 is that when we walk, when we walk in the Spirit, which we do more than what the law was trying to get us to do. Verse 5. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, what we just talked about when we first sat down, those are the things of the Spirit, the things that are freely given to us. So when you're, when you're, because you and I are born from above and from above, those are the things that we think on. The goodness of God, the reality of our union with Him, um, the nearness of God, um, the wisdom of God, the fact that I'm, I'm really a new person. Okay, this, this is so cool. Now, but if you don't really see yourself as being from above, then you see yourself still of the flesh. And so we tend to think according to the flesh. And the flesh is all about itself, doing things itself, trying to clean itself up, trying to turn over a new leaf, trying to, to commit to be a better person. It's all flesh. It's all trying to, you know, um, uh, Paul talked about the uh, abstaining from certain things and uh, the, the bad treatment of the body to try to stop sinning. He says that has no value whatsoever against the flesh. Or the power of sin. Doesn't do anything at all. Makes it worse. Okay, let's see. Verse verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's to basically believe and to understand and to see who Jesus really is and who we really are in Him. I love that verse in... in uh, the Corinthian letter where Paul talks about beholding the glory of God as in a mirror and we're transformed in the same image. What that say in saints? Go back and take a look at that in Corinthians. I think it's 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Awesome. Into chapter 3. Into chapter 3 beginning 4. Close to 4. Awesome. What he's saying there is that when you look at the at the face of Jesus. And I'll explain in a second what, what I mean by that. But when you look at the face of Jesus, you're looking at the glory of God. Face refers to the person. When we, when we behold the person of Jesus, you're looking at the glory of God. And then he says this. Paul says, you're actually looking at yourself as if it's a mirror. As Jesus is, so are we. Now, you see how that transformation... See, I feel the Spirit of God. You see that? See, God's dynamic, it's almost too good to be true. But that's what... See, this, this business about people say, read the Bible, it's a mirror to show your sin so you can wash your face. No, this is not a, a, a book that you read to see sin. The law through the law, yes, is the knowledge of sin, but we don't eat of that tree anymore. We eat of the tree of life. And Jesus said, if you follow me, you shall have the light of life. He who follows me shall have the light of life. What's the light of life? It means you can see God. You can see the face of God. Jacob, the new man. The, oh, that, so Jacob, the new man, it, it was all about seeing. Jacob, remember Esau, the flesh? Jacob, the new creation? It's all about seeing. Jacob had a revelation that the this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. God is in this place, and I knew it not. He saw it. And then his cattle began to multiply because they saw sticks in the water that were, that were uh, striped sticks. 
they saw and he was he multiplied and then he saw the face of God when he wrestled with the angel and at the very end of this circle and he saw the face of God and he said I've seen the face of God and yet I'm not dead. And his name was changed to Israel. He began to realize who he was. And from that day on, he walked with a limp in total dependency on another. See, that's you and I. Study the life of Jacob. It's the life of you and I. It's what the new creation must go go through to see. It's, a, it's an unfolding revelation. It's not about sweat and blood and tears and trying to make it happen. It's a beholding of this awesome God. Great is the mystery of your godliness. Great is the mystery of your godliness. For he was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by resurrection. He was seen by the messengers. He was proclaimed on in the world. He was believed on. He was taken up into glory. See that? The mystery of your godliness is it's out of this world, literally out of this world. I mean, these people that boast in their own godliness, they don't have a clue. If, you, if your godliness has anything to do with, with you, then you don't have the mystery. And there should be a mystery about your godliness. You, there should be an awesome sense of awe, like, I don't know how God pulls this off in my life. I am so ah, weak. Without him, I can do nothing. But, you know, with him, I can do all things. Gosh, I'm just going to boast in my weakness because when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Wow, what a dynamic. I don't have to feel strong. I just have to know him. Vine on a branch. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But through him, we bear much fruit. Isn't that cool? Where were we? What was that? We were saying something about... The mirror. Oh, the mirror. The mirror. This, if we get this in our heart, it will release the heavenly dynamic that is already inside of you. It's already inside of us. It's the new and living way. To see Him is to see ourselves because of what He did. Ephesians says... The new man, the new creation, the new man is renewed after a true knowledge. In the Greek there, true knowledge means revelation. After revelation of him who created him. The new man comes forth when there's a revelation of he who created me. That's Ephesians, also in Colossians. This is all through the Scripture. This is a dynamic. That's why I said last Sunday that the the church has, overall, the world in the church, in the world has lost what I would say the the lost art of beholding God in our inner man. And the apostles talked about this all the time. Beholding Christ in our inner man. Knowing that He's within. Not out there somewhere, but He's within. Knowing that He's for us, not against us. Knowing that we're from above and not from below knowing that we can depend on that life to kick in. Jesus even said this. He said when they bring you before councils and bring bring you before men to to explain this this gospel, you know, the Pharisees in their generation called the church, they called the believers the kingdom of arrogance because they dared to say they were righteous in Christ. The Pharisees who were trying their best to be righteous called the, the church the kingdom of arrogance. They used that phrase because they heard him talking about the kingdom of heaven and, and the believers were so full of joy talking about this righteousness that came to them, to them as a gift through Christ, through the Messiah. And the Pharisees were so angered by it. They said, yeah, that's the kingdom of arrogance over there. They think they're righteous. 
But Jesus, Jesus even said this, when you stand before people like that, or the world itself, and he said, don't take any thought what you shall say. For the Father, in that very hour, shall give you the words to say. That's living by another life. Isn't that cool? Take no thought what you shall say. Rely on me. Rest in me. And the Father, he said, I love the way he says it, the Spirit of my Father shall give you the words in that very hour. And they will not be able to answer. They couldn't answer the way Stephen spoke. They couldn't, the scripture says they could not answer because of the wisdom and the power in which he spoke. Because they knew he was right. They just got more angry <laughs> and killed him. But it's a life of another. Let me read this one more real, real quick. We're, we're, oh gosh, we're out of time. Let me, just, let me jump down real quick. Verse, uh, we'll come back to some of these other verses if we have a little time next Sunday, but verse nine, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that awesome? So we're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. It's not a matter of walking or walking the flesh or walking the Spirit. It's not a matter of whether we're manifesting that life or not. Even when we're not manifesting who we really are, we are still in the Spirit, still in Christ. He doesn't leave because we don't manifest Him perfectly. In fact, that's the whole covenant. I'll remember their sins no more, and I'll be merciful to all their iniquities. And they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. See, it's all about knowing him. They all shall know me. How can we know him? Because he's removed all barriers. I'll be merciful to all their iniquities. I'll remember their sins no more. And therefore, they'll all know me now because they can come boldly. They can see me. They can know me. Isn't that cool? Awesome. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these spiritual things, these heavenly things. Thank you that you've moved us from a carnal mind to a spiritual mind, from flesh to spirit, from earth to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a great treasure, a great treasure. We can't even begin to describe it. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. Thank you, Lord. So wise. So wise. I bless my brothers and my sisters, Lord. I bless and I ask, Lord, that we would all more and more receive the spirit of wisdom and and revelation of the knowledge of Christ. Christ is all and in all to live as Christ. Christ, our life. Christ. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that we as, we, as we behold you, we see ourselves. We see who we are as in a mirror. It's too good to be true, it seems. Behold, I do a new thing. Consider not the things of old. 
for you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a new creation. As in that movie, Lord, I love that scene where you stumble under the weight of that cross and you look up to Mary and you say, look, mother, look, mother, I make all things new. Look, mother, I make all things new. Amen. Thank you, Lord.